Hello and welcome to Alpha Omega International and a, and a special welcome to our Good Friday service today. This past month has been a lot of new things for us, a lot of first times for us. And once again, this is the first time uh, I've ever been uh, conducting a Good Friday service online as it is now. And the same will be said of Easter this Sunday. But praise God that He's still on the throne and praise God that he is still the head of our church and praise God we are still united in the name of Jesus. And so with that, uh, we'd like to bring to you uh, a Good Friday service today. And at the conclusion of today's sermon, we're going to have a time of communion uh, and more about that later, but just to let you know how we're going to do things today. When I'm finished preaching, we're gonna take a little bit of time and then we're gonna gather together as a church family and have communion. Well, with that, Happy Good Friday, everybody. Today we are going to continue uh, the Portraits sermon series. And today is part two of this portrait series. And we're looking at a sermon today titled, The Divided Soldier. So if you would turn with me to the Gospel of Mark. We're going to read, uh, I guess we'll read three verses today. But today's sermon is based off of just one verse that we're going to break down a little bit as we consider the divided soldier. So if you'll turn with me to Mark chapter 15, I'll read from verse 37 and I'll continue on through uh, 39. Here it is. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice and breathed his last. Then the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. So when the centurion who stood opposite him saw that he cried out like this and breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the son of God. Wow. What a great verse. Today's sermon, The Divided Soldier. We're going to take a close look at this soldier that we just read about, this centurion man. You know, all throughout Mark chapter 15, Mark tells us a lot of names of people like Pontius Pilate, Barabbas, Jesus, of course. We learn about Mary Magdalene, Simon, and many other individual people that are named in this chapter. But not this man that we're talking about, this unnamed soldier. But yet, this is who we're going to focus on today. Uh, of course, we're focusing on Jesus, but through the eyes of this man. So with that, let's begin. Today we are remembering the cross of Jesus Christ. This is the day we remember that Jesus died on the cross for all of us. And when we consider the cross of Christ, you know, if people would truly consider it, if people were truly honest with themselves and not prideful, not attempting to hide anything and not trying to ignore the realities of their sin, they would look upon the cross just as we do, and they would understand the greatest love that the world has ever known. They would become aware of their own sin and their own need of forgiveness. And yes, they would acknowledge Jesus as the Son of God and the Savior of the world. Instead, so many people still, they mock God. They mock the Word of God. They talk about Jesus with such disdain. 
and they speak of the Lord's people, Christians, as though they are ignorant fools. Many would rather pretend that they believe that there's no God. That's right. I said they pretend to believe that there is no God. According to scripture, all know that there is a God. And only the fool would say in his heart, there is no God. They pretend because if they come into the light of truth, if they come to the cross into the light of truth, if they are admitting of their sins and their need to be saved, then it means they have to surrender to the one who gave his life. But people won't do that. People refuse to do that. They don't want to submit. They don't want to surrender. But the truth is, we all come to the cross. And then the cross becomes a great divider. In other words, on one hand, one person will choose to receive and embrace what the Lord Jesus has done. On the other hand, another person will reject what he has done. This person will sort of spit in the face of Jesus as they did at the day of crucifixion. And that person will just simply walk away. Today, we look at a Roman centurion, this unnamed soldier, the one who is actually in charge of the crucifixion of Jesus. Today, we call him the divided soldier. And as we learn about his story today, we're going to see it in four parts. Number one, the opening scene. Number two, the opposing stand. Number three, the obvious signs. And number four, the overpowered soldier. Let's begin. Number one, the opening scene. Mark simply says in verse 39, the centurion. Who is this centurion? Well, the opening scene doesn't begin with this man at the cross of Christ. It begins with him as a young boy growing up in Rome, or at least in one of Rome's colonies. When he was a boy, we can be sure that his father told him of all the epic battles of Julius Caesar. Most certainly, he was exposed as a boy to the circus that was in Rome, that place that was called the Colosseum, where warriors and gladiators would engage in life and death battle. And maybe, as a boy, he had his own favorite gladiator. And he watched as that gladiator killed both man and beast in that Colosseum at the roar of all the crowd that was there watching. Yeah, as a young boy, he learned to enjoy fighting, bloodshed, and even killing. And when he became a young man, he decided to enlist as a Roman legionnaire. The most ruthless and deadly soldiers in the history of the world were the Roman soldiers. He pledged his allegiance to Caesar and then proceeded to march to and conquered city after city, side by side with his brothers, his fellow soldiers in battle. They learned to be fearless. They learned to be 
brutal, and they learned to kill. Eventually, the boy became a man, the man became a soldier, and the soldier became a centurion. A centurion is a soldier who's in charge, a captain over a hundred soldiers. So he's moved his way up through the ranks of the Roman army. He's now stationed in Jerusalem among people who absolutely hate and despise Rome. You could feel this hatred in every place, in every street of the city. But he is there on Rome's business to advance the cause of Rome. And he is to imprison or kill anyone who threatens that cause. This is the opening scene. Number two, the opposing stand. Mark says the centurion who stood opposite him, that is Jesus. On this early morning, he receives an assignment to carry out the crucifixions for three men on top of a hill just outside of Jerusalem. He's told by the commanding officer that two of them are criminals. But the third one is a very dangerous man. He's the worst of all three. He's a man that claims to be the king of the Jews. In fact, his own people, the Jews, they want him crucified and gone. Why? Because he said he was the son of God. Well, for our centurion in the story, he would have scoffed at such a claim. There is no king but Caesar, he would say, just as the Jews did at the trial of Jesus. In fact, Rome not only honored their king, their emperor, but Rome believed that Julius Caesar, he himself became a divine being. And after he was finished and died, his nephew, Augustus, took the throne as emperor or Caesar of Rome. And Caesar Augustus claimed that he was a son of God. And then it's as though that this thought would now pass from one emperor to the next, each one believing and all the people of Rome believing that the Caesar was Lord and that the Caesar was literally a son of God. Rome worshipped the Caesars. They believed that on the inauguration day, each Caesar would actually become a son of God. As for this man who is about to be crucified, this man condemned to die, how dare he speak of being a king? How dare he claim to be the Son of God? And so on this morning, the centurion made preparations. He gathered his men together and gave out the orders, gave out the instructions. In a couple of hours, those condemned men would arrive. And so they did. And when these three men came on top of the hill to be crucified, our centurion didn't pay much attention to the two criminals he was told about. No, this morning his focus is on that one, the one that's called the King of Jews. 
And when he saw this man, he saw him beaten and bloodied. The centurion knew that this was worse punishment than he had ever seen before upon a man. In fact, the Bible tells us in Isaiah that Jesus was beaten so badly that you wouldn't even recognize him as a man. His face was so marred, beaten, bruised, and bloodied, you wouldn't even recognize him as a man. The centurion passed out the hammers, gave the nails, and his men were ordered to crucify this bloody king. And so they did. And as they did that, driving in those nails through the hands and through the feet, this man on the cross cries out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And once his hands and feet are fixed upon the cross, they raise him up for all to see. Our centurion, he takes a few steps back. He lifts his eyes and he reads the sign that was placed above his pierced head, pierced with thorns, a crown of thorns around his head. The sign above him read, Jesus, the King of the Jews. And as Mark said, the centurion stood opposite him, literally taking a few steps back and standing opposite of Jesus. But you know, everything about this centurion is in opposition toward Jesus. Everything that he believes, his way of life, his thoughts about the world are in opposition against the one who was crucified. And you know, the Bible teaches us in Romans chapter 5 that we were also rebels against God. We turned our back on God. We were rebels. We were disobedient. We were helpless. In fact, in our rebellion, we were enemies of God. We opposed God. And let me tell you, all you who listen, for anyone who wants to stand against God, oppose God, be an enemy of God, that person will lose in the end. And I believe that this centurion is not only physically in opposition with Jesus, but his very life at this moment is in opposition against Jesus. He's an enemy of God. This was the opposing stand. Number three, the obvious <clears throat> signs. Again, same verse. Mark says, the centurion who stood opposite him saw that he cried out like this and breathed his last. The centurion, he could recall the things he heard about former Caesars on that day of inauguration. You see, in the days of Rome, when a new Caesar came into power, they ushered him through the streets of Rome. They led him to a hill called the Capitoline, and up that hill he ascended. And once he was on top of the hill, he could look out upon all the people of Rome who were crying out and cheering and applauding the new emperor, the new Caesar. 
and then they would shout out, show us, show us that you are a son of God. And as they would repeat that over and over, then a silence fell upon the whole crowd because they waited. They waited for confirmation among the heavens, confirmation that indeed this man, Caesar, had become a son of God. And they would wait. They would wait for anything. Perhaps a flock of birds would fly by. That would be the sign. Or maybe just then a, a warm breeze would blow through some of the people of the crowd. And maybe one by one they would shout, I feel it, I feel it. The breeze became the sign. But on this morning, this Friday morning, Jesus was crucified at 9 o'clock in the morning. And then what followed after the crucifixion were many signs, many events took place, a series of terrifying events. At about 12 o'clock, and for the last three hours of the crucifixion, the Lord put out the light of the sun, and there was darkness over all the land. There was an earthquake so great that not only did all the ground shake in violence, but even the graves were opened up. Tombs were opened up. And in the temple, not far from the crucifixion, in the temple, the curtain that divided anyone from entering into the presence of God, that temple curtain was torn from the top to the bottom. Now for the centurion, that would mean nothing to him at least not now but to hear the reaction of the jews i'm sure caught his attention as well as all the other terrifying events that were happening these were real events this wasn't a flock of birds this wasn't a breeze blowing through the crowd these were real supernatural events that confirmed who this man on the cross truly was these things, these events, as we read in the other Gospels, these events struck fear in the heart of our centurion and the soldiers that were with him as well. The ones who were trained never to fear, yet they were absolutely terrified. But it wasn't the events, these events that pierced the heart of the centurion. It wasn't the events, instead, it was what was said on the cross. What was said on the cross? What was cried out from the cross? That's what gripped his heart and took over. Two reasons why. The Bible says that at the end, when Jesus was about to breathe his last, he cried out with a loud voice. Now, first of all, for this to even happen, to a man that's been hanging on a cross for six hours, bleeding as he was, beaten and broken as he was, the centurion himself knew that when a man is beaten like that and hanging on a cross for six hours, that man will become weaker and weaker. He loses all strength to even pick himself up to speak. He sort of hangs down as his nails are pierced 
And when he hangs down, he has no more power to breathe in and out. Eventually, his lungs will fill with fluid and he suffocates. The longer that man hangs on a tree, the weaker he becomes until he dies of suffocation. But that's not what happened to Jesus. After six hours on his cross, he had the strength to lift himself up and to cry with a loud voice. And I think the very fact that Jesus was able to do that caught the centurion's attention. And perhaps he knew at this moment, this isn't any ordinary man. But it's also what he cried out in the end. Not just how, but what he cried out. If you read in the other Gospels, the sayings of Jesus from the cross, the last thing Jesus said before he died, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he came to the cross and was nailed to it, he called out, Father, forgive them. And now at the end of the cross, as he is about to breathe his last, once again he calls, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then he breathed his last. In the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verse 17 and 18, Jesus said, Therefore, my Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. Do you know the death of Jesus on that cross was just as miraculous as his birth was into this world. Jesus said, no one can take my life. No soldier, no centurion, not Caesar himself can take my life. No, I lay it down of myself. Jesus was in control, even on the cross, and he would lay down his life when he was ready. When he, could when he could consider all that he had done, that he fulfilled the Father's will until he could say, it is finished. Only then would he be ready to lay down his own life. His death was miraculous and it showed that he was in control. Do you remember when Jesus was arrested, betrayed and arrested, in the garden of Gethsemane when that whole band of soldiers and other men came with clubs and weapons to take him even then Jesus was in control he proved it to everybody for when he said I am they all fell down backwards at the power that he was the great I am when Jesus is being beaten when he's being scourged whipped even then he was in control when he was taken to Calvary up this hill nailed to a cross even then he was in control and yes at the very last moment at the very last breath Jesus was always in control 
No one takes my life. I lay it down of myself. Wow. This is what the centurion saw and heard. And then there was a division among the people at the cross. And so it is for all of us as it was for the centurion as well. A division takes place at the cross, whether to receive and embrace what Jesus has done or to turn away, walk away and reject the salvation and the forgiveness of the Lord. As for our centurion man, he'll become a divided soldier. Number four, we see the overpowered soldier. Once again, now we can read this verse in all. So when the centurion who stood opposite him saw that he cried out like this and breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the son of God. Truly, in other words, truly as opposed to false, as opposed to a false thing, this is what's true. In other words, all those Caesars that claimed to be a son of God and they used whatever signs could come out of the people or out of nature or whatever it was, that this centurion has learned was the false claim. These men, no matter how powerful or rich they were, no matter how many people gathered around them, they were not a son of God. The truth, according to the centurion, truly, this man, this man was the son of God. And just like that, this strong and fierce soldier was overpowered by the Lord Jesus Christ. All the love and grace that flowed from the cross at Calvary, it found a home in the heart of the centurion. He was overpowered by the Lord Jesus, the King of the Jews and the Son of God. What happened to this soldier is what happens to all who come to the cross. A division takes place. We don't know what happens to this centurion after the story, but I would imagine he would have to answer for his newfound faith. He would find out that all those band of men that were with him in battle, there's now a division among them. Some of them reject the Messiah and still believe that Caesar is God the Son of God, and only Caesar is Lord. But now this centurion has been divided from the crowd because he has come to the realization that Jesus Christ is Lord, is King, is the Son of God. And I wonder if you have also been divided. When you came to faith in Jesus Christ, did you lose friends? Did you lose family because of your decision. Maybe in America, we don't experience that as often as other places. But I can tell you in Indonesia, with people that I know and have met, because of their decision to follow Jesus Christ, 
They have lost mom and dad. They have lost brothers or sisters. They have lost friends that they grew up with. But what else can they do? They know the truth and they must follow Jesus with all their heart. No one can come to the cross and remain on neutral ground, sort of dancing between the two decisions. God does not allow that. The cross leaves us no room to be on neutral, middle ground. No, a decision must be made. And it's either to receive or to reject who Jesus is and what he has done. So for all of you listening to me on this Good Friday, what have you decided? What has your decision been as you consider the cross of Jesus Christ? This is Good Friday, the day we remember when God demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus is still able to save all those who come to him by faith. Think of it. The man who was responsible for the crucifixion of Jesus the man who handed out the hammers and the nails, the one who oversaw all of this happening, if he can be saved, is there anyone that cannot be saved? Is there any reason for us to doubt that right now this centurion man is with the Lord Jesus in heaven, worshiping him as king and as the son of God? Praise the Lord. At this time, for those of you that are a part of Alpha Omega International, we're going to give you a few moments to uh, gather your communion emblems together, gather your family together, prepare everything, and, and also prepare your hearts as we are going to unite together and have communion celebration together. For all of you that are not a part of our church and maybe uh, leaving after this sermon now to, to go and and do something else. I just want to say God bless you and God be with you. Remember what this day means. Whoever you are listening to me, Jesus came to die for our sin. And if you would just look upon him today, lift your eyes and see him today. All those who look to him by faith, they will be saved. Would you do that today? Just look upon Jesus in faith and simply say, Lord Jesus, save me, forgive me, give me eternal life. I believe in you, you are Lord, you are Savior, you are Son of God, and you died for me. If you reach out in that way to the Lord Jesus, he will save you, whoever you are. Praise the Lord. At this time, we'll call everybody together for communion, and for the rest of you, God bless you, God be with you, and hopefully, we'll get to see each other soon, once again, during these online services. Amen. God bless you.